There's victory in here tonight. Amen. Amen. Why are we experiencing the richness of the word on a new level, even as these share? Because faithlessness is losing the battle, and faith is winning. Fear is losing the battle, and love is winning. Amen. Already, we have a grace here that we didn't have the last time we met. Thank you, Jesus. Brother Addison said that the Lord brought to his mind the song, Satan, Your Kingdom's Coming Down. There's something so defiant about that victory march. (laughs) And I think that it's got to be taken from the place in Luke where Jesus sends out the 70 two by two. And he says, Behold, I give you power over all the works of the evil one, over every disease and sickness, and every demon, amen, go forth. And they went out and they worked together, two by two. It was like a prototype of the body of Christ. It was this little snapshot of what God envisioned for His holy nation, the community of the committed, as they went out and they worked in teams in this collaboration of love and grace. And it says that when they came back, they told Jesus all that God had done through them. And it says that he rejoiced greatly and he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Amen. And right there we get this insight into the nature of the kingdom of Christ and how it's going to defeat the kingdom of the devil. When we step out of our comfort zones, our complacency, the attitude that assumes someone else will do it, and we begin to function in love, in grace, in faith, and we begin to collaborate together in different places at the same time, advancing the cause of Christ, Satan's stranglehold on the whole world is breaking and shattering. Amen. And his fall in that environment, his undermining, his disappointment, his collapse is so instantaneous that it looks like greased lightning from heaven. And they were marveling, (laughs) amen, they were marveling that it had actually worked and Jesus said, don't marvel at that. Marvel that you're part of something that's eternal, that your names are written in the book of life. Amen. Satan's kingdom was undermined from the cross also when the veil of the temple was written to Amen. And the grace of God poured out. And in all the places where the body rallied together and love triumphed over fear, Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I believe he sees that in our daily lives when we move in the Spirit in the manner he has asked of us. Even tonight, strongholds of the enemy could come down like grease lightning. Amen. Do you believe that's so? Lord, let it be in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just read you some scriptures. I think I can move quickly. There may be other things that the Lord wants to speak to us. But you know this one, and so I'm going to start with it. 
You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times because people will love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and unthankful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So he starts by saying that peril is coming. And the opening definition for the peril that is going to afflict our times is that people will love themselves. Amen? People will love themselves. And the closing definition is that they will be religious. And they will cling to a certain form of godliness. But this translation says, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Clinging tenaciously to a certain form of religion. Why does somebody cling to their religion even while rejecting the power of that faith to make them godly? The word cling has the connotation of desperation, does it not? We think of cling when we picture a man sliding off a cliff but clinging to the edge. We think of cling when we picture someone clinging to the wreckage of a ship floating to shore in Paul's story of the Eurachlodon. We think of cling as in someone grabbing someone else when stricken by terror. All of the connotations that this word evokes are connotations of fear reaching and grasping at security. And so he's telling us that in the last times there's going to be a form of religion that the fearful are going to grip real tight. Don't undermine my faith. Don't question my belief. Don't question my salvation. Because everything around them is sinking sand. Everything around them is indicating that they're on the wrong course. Their fruit is bad. Their foundation is cracked. Their roof has been blown away in the tsunami of worldliness. Their identity is non-existent or indistinguishable from the world. And so every indicator is bad. But they cling to their religion. And then he uses this next word, while rejecting. Now this word is not a passive, soft word. Reject. Is it? Clinging with one hand out of fear and desperation. But rejecting with aggression and hatred with the other hand. 
I don't need that in my life. I don't want that in my life. Amen. The power that could make them godly. Paul is trying to tell us there's only one thing that will make you godly. And that's the power of God. It's not your principles. It's not your history. It's not your ethnicity. It's not the nation you were born into. It's not the money in your bank account. It's not your IQ. It's the power of God. Anything else that produces godliness is self-righteousness. And it's going to implode. It's going to backfire. It's going to disappoint. It's filthy rags. Thank you, Jesus. But the righteousness that is from the Lord, it denotes a relationship of utter dependence. No self-sufficiency apart from Him. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We've spoken on this many times, but the righteousness that God requires is relational righteousness. It's positional righteousness. It's not status in a legal sense. It's relationship. Amen. If you don't wake up and say, apart from him, I can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, then you're not going to pursue that indwelling assurance of his presence that is the power that can make you righteous. Amen? How many of you know that those who cling to their religion in the last times don't like God's power? How many of you have met people who are tenacious in their clinging to their doctrine, but they despise anything that would call them to a higher level of power that would actually make them godly? When did God send forth this power to make us godly? Did not Jesus say in Acts 1.8, Tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power? That's the same word Paul's using in 2 Timothy 3. He says they cling to their forms, but they reject the dunamis. That's the word that makes them godly. How many of you know pastors and devout, pious people who despise and reject God's dunamis? This word from which we get our English word dynamite. They want an idol to worship. They want someone they can fashion, they can control. Like a statue. But if that statue ever defies his limitations and begins to point his finger at them and speak to them, they don't like it. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is upon you. And Paul said, Christ's kingdom is in power and not in word. Amen. What is it in human nature that rejects dunamis, that rejects the power of God? We want to be in control. We want the illusion of control. That's the whole story. And if you want to be godly, you need to lose that illusion of control. You need to get out in deep waters and in currents that take you beyond the limits of yourself. That's why praise and worship is so important. That's why we have to yield completely because God has got to take us 
to places we could never achieve without him. That's what Peter meant when he said no scripture is of private interpretation. And then he implies that we must receive the scripture as the scripture was given when he says the holy men of old were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, that's what the pious don't like even as they cling to their religion. They don't want to get carried away. Amen. We need to get carried away because if you don't get carried away, you're going to get stuck in the bog of complacency. You don't need to get the Holy Ghost and have that powerful experience and then put it in a shadow box on your wall like some kind of certificate, like some kind of graduation plaque, you need to get baptized in the Spirit and say, this is the first day of the rest of my life. I can swim in these waters. I can think in these waters. I can pray in these waters. This is the first day of a new way of living. Amen. You need to come to meetings with a view to get outside of yourself. You need to listen to conversations with an expectancy for the wind of the Spirit to fill your sails and take you in a way you would not go. That's why he said in Romans 8, as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. He doesn't say as many as spoke in tongues, these are the sons of God. He doesn't put it in a past tense. He doesn't make it an experience of yesterday or yesteryear. He says, whoever is being led right now by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. How many in this room right now are letting your thoughts be led by the Spirit? Letting your feelings be led by the Spirit? How many are on the edge of their seats in a figurative sense saying, lead me, God. I want to go somewhere new and different. I want to be taken from powerlessness to power. You're a son of God if that's how you're thinking right now. Amen. How many are resting on your laurels? How many are complacent in what God has already given you? You're growing cold. You're growing lukewarm. And you are distasteful in the mouth of God. Pray lest he spit you out. Come alive. Amen. Engage this relationship. A new way of living. A new way of worshiping. A new way of thinking and feeling and acting. A new you. Amen. In Luke 4, it says Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about Him spread through all the surrounding region. What is the evangelism that we need? We need people to return in the power of the Spirit. And the news of God's hand will go through all the region. Then it says He went up out of the Jordan led by the Spirit. Amen. Then he got to the Nazareth synagogue and he opened the Bible and he said, the Spirit is upon me. We need people who can be led and carried along by the Holy Spirit. If that's not what you're looking for, you're looking for the wrong thing. You're looking for God to become something that your carnal mind can cling to. Just like a Catholic clings to their rosary beads in a time of anxiety or death. They're fingering through those beads. Those beads aren't going to save anybody. That's what the evangelicals do with their doctrines. Their little rosary of doctrines. Fingering it along, counting it out, mumbling a prayer to themselves. It's a form of godliness without the power. Amen. But he said, when the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. So what that tells me 
is that there's something about the attributes that he lists in this perilous prophecy that quenches the Spirit. The power that they don't want to have is the Spirit. Because that's what he said. When the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. So these people who love themselves, who are unthankful, who have nothing sacred in their lives, who are disobedient to their parents, amen, who love money, all of these attributes are incompatible with the indwelling Holy Spirit. They quench the Spirit. They do despite to the Spirit of grace. They offend the Holy Spirit by which they were sanctified. And so he doesn't live there anymore. They feel their rosary beads of doctrines, but they don't feel the presence of God anymore. Thank you, Lord. In Luke 24, he said, Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power. You are not to move one inch. You are not to do one thing. You are not to preach one sermon. You are not to start one church. You are not to do anything. Because in John 15, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Just, just tarry. Just wait. Just pray. Just seek God until the Spirit comes upon you. And when it comes upon you, you will know your God. Be strong and do exploits. Then in Acts he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and even to the uttermost ends of the earth. When this church was started, it was started by people who were coming out of the tombs of Lazarus himself. It was started by people who had descended into the very alleyways of hell and horror through drug addiction through sin, through failure of, of love in their lives by others and their own failures to others. It was started by people who had reached the end of themselves completely, utterly. Amen? And when they heard the gospel and when they partook of the life to come through the Holy Spirit, that deposit, it was life. And they did not receive the Spirit and then put it on a shadow box and tell everybody, look what happened. They received the Spirit and said, Wow, I can live in this place. I can be new through this experience. Amen. And if you go back and listen to the recordings of their meetings, the praise is explosive. It's explosive. And it's so childlike. There's no analytical reflection and self-consciousness that is moderating their intimacy with the Spirit. Amen. And God has allowed us, He has spared us from many of those terrible places that they came from. But in times of trial and trouble like we're just coming through, He gives us a deeper hunger, doesn't He? He gives us a deeper appreciation for who He is and who we are without Him, but who we can be with Him. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And so we got to change our attitude, especially if we're coming out of that phony church that is out there. And I, I don't disparage the individuals, but the church as a whole is a joke. It is a terrible failure. Amen. At best, it is a valley of dry bones. And if you're coming out of that, 
I need to warn you that they teach you to cling to religion. They teach you to cling to the forms and doctrines that they think they have life in. Just like the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have life, but you will not come to me. And so they teach you to develop these formulas, these patterns, these thought processes, and to cling to those tenaciously. And when you come to this context, God shows you new truth and He gives you new promises and new power. But if you don't watch it, that old way of thinking will start to receive the Holy Ghost the same way you received the past truths, amen, from that system. And you'll cling to certain little aspects and certain little experiences and certain little truths. And they may be good in and of themselves, but none of it is good unless it is leading you by the Spirit into more of God's love, more of God's light, more of God's power, more of God's victory. You have got to become comfortable and okay with being led by the Spirit of God. Amen. I'm serious. If David could dance and the Bible says twirl about and praise God, if he could be twirling about in praise and if he could shout with the shout of victory and clap his hands and lift his hands as the evening sacrifice and he didn't even have the Holy Spirit, what does the Bible expect of us? What does God expect of us? Amen. You say, well, you know, I've just got these problems and who gives a hoot? You need to praise God until your jail starts to shake. You need to praise God until your chains come off. You need to praise God until your frame changes and you know who's God and who's you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible tells us in Acts 6 that the first martyr after Jesus, Stephen, was a man full of grace and power performing great wonders and signs among the people. Full of grace and power. It's just what they said of Jesus, full of grace and truth. Amen. In Acts 4 it says, With great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. With great power they were giving testimony. But that power is that word dunamis again. Now remember that the apostate church doesn't like that word dunamis. They don't like it because they're not in control of it. Amen. But the testimony that birthed the church came with great power through the mouths of the apostles. In Romans it says, Therefore, in Christ Jesus I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except that which Christ has accomplished through me resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Amen. In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and around about as far as Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of the Messiah. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. So he says that what came to them that they believed in and obeyed with word and deed came in the power of signs and wonders and in the power of the Spirit. Is that how God is moving? That's how He wants to move. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If we settle for anything less, then we're starting to cling to our rosary beads. 
even while rejecting the very thing that makes him real in our lives. To the Corinthians, he said, my message and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but what? A demonstration of the Spirit and power. His very words demonstrated power. He said, my words and my teaching demonstrated God's Spirit and power. In 2 Corinthians 6, he says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance in affliction. Amen. Look at the context of victory here, brothers and sisters. Did you hear it? But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. What's the context? In much endurance, in affliction, in hardships, in distress, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. Look at what he's saying. Look at what he's saying. Look at the context in which he says it came in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. These are not people holding to a rosary of doctrinal checklists. These are not people holding to a form. These are people who love the power of God, even in weakness. Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that God would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. In Ephesians 3 also he says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask, think, or imagine, according to the power that works in us. So on and so forth. Amen. How does God do so much more than we could ask, think, or imagine? By us sitting there as inert spectators and hoping He'll take care of it all? Is that how He does it? No, He exceeds all our expectations according to the power that works in us. If apathy works in us, no expectations will be exceeded. If indifference works in us, no expectations will be exceeded. But if power works in us, He will do far more abundantly above all we ask, think, or imagine according to the power that works in us. To Him be glory in the church both now and forever. Amen. You already know that also in 2 Timothy he says that God has not given us a spirit of spiritual weaklingness or timidity, but of power. What is his first definition of the spirit that God's given us? Power. Power, not belief, not intellectual assent, power, and love, and a sound mind or discipline.
Amen? Thank you, Jesus. I love how he says also in 2 Timothy, Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Doesn't that tell you that grace is not an exemption from obedience, but it is the empowerment unto obedience? It is the grace that teaches us, that disciplines us, that pideal trains us to say no to ungodliness and to live godly in this age. How do they live godly? By not rejecting the power that would help them do so. Amen. Who was it who said that we're going to face things we've never faced before, but God has anticipated that? Was that you? Amen. Listen to what it says in Revelations. He who overcomes and who keeps my deeds until the end. Notice he doesn't say who keeps his own deeds, but he keeps Christ's deeds. To him I will give authority over all nations. Then in Revelation 6, he speaks of the two witnesses that represent the Gentile and the Jewish church at the end of time come back together. Amen? This church of the wild olive branch and the cultivated olive branch is symbolized in the allegory of the two witnesses. Listen to what he says about these two witnesses that are symbolic of Peter and Cornelius in a manner of speaking. These have power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. Amen. Sounds like the same kind of power Moses had, doesn't it? Turning waters into blood and changing the cycle of the weather. Amen. You believe God is not trying to get us to move into this notion of his power ceasing, this baloney called cessationism, but he is trying to get us to move into an expectation that the end time church is going to have more power than any church prior. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. This will be the pinnacle of spiritual power. This will be the apex of spiritual power, and it will usher in the return of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Elijah was a man like us, but he prayed, and God shut up the heavens. Amen? If God gave him the power, how much more will he give us who have been filled with the Holy Spirit? Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters, and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Amen. Joshua, it was said, One of your men puts to flight a thousand, for the Lord your God is the one who fights for you. In Leviticus, it was said, Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. Amen. These are not times for complacency that we live in. They're times to change our posture. Amen? You feel like about three weeks ago or thereabout, the Lord changed our alert level. And He changed it from whatever it was, blue to yellow to orange to red. Amen? He put us on high alert. And He said, it's time to come to a war footing. You can't sleep as soldiers do on leave. You can't carouse as if there's no war going on. You need to get your weapons sharp. Amen. You need to make sure your provisions are in order. 
Thank you, Jesus. You need to be fit and prepared for the tangle with the devil that is coming, for it surely will come. Amen. But you need to know that he has given you power. Amen. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. If only you'll cling to him and his power instead of to that form that you can control. Thank you, Jesus. God, we need more love. We need more power. We need more of you in our lives. I'm serious. When John the Baptist came on the scene preparing the way of Jesus, they didn't say, wow, this guy has an unusual fashion, but we really like his style. They were so disturbed by the intensity of this preacher that they said he was demon-possessed. They concluded that he was possessed, and he was possessed, but it wasn't by a demon. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him to prepare the way. It says, I will visit them with the Spirit and the power of Elijah. And the Bible tells us in James what that power was. It was the faith and the perseverance to pray and to believe God would answer. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We don't know how long John was in the wilderness before he came howling out of the wilderness saying, prepare, but the same power that was on Elijah. That power we see on John was the power we saw when Elijah prayed and asked the servant to look. No change. So he prayed again. The Bible tells us that he put his face down between his knees on the ground and prayed. And he went and looked. Nothing. And he looked again. Nothing. And again. And finally he came with the smallest inkling that something was moving in the heavenlies. And he came back and said, I, I see a cloud the size of a man's fist. Amen. And that was all he needed to know God had answered and everything was changing. Amen. Get up. Gird yourself. Outrun a chariot. Pulled by fast-moving horses because God is on the move. His power is on the move. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. That's what we need. That's what we need. Whatever you feel you're stuck in, just know what you're looking for. Don't go searching for the things that won't change your situation, won't change your condition. Your geographic location is not the holdup. Your family is not the holdup. Your IQ is not the holdup. The only holdup is how much the power of God means to you and what you're willing to pay in order to receive it. What kind of sacrifice are you willing to pay in order to find that power of God in your life? Thank you, Jesus. Jesus was the one who said pray and never give up. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Those who come to God must believe that He is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Do you want an anointing? How diligently have you sought it? Amen. How diligently have you sought it? How many hours in prayer have you spent? Not praying the prayer of desperation or of self-pity rather, but praying the prayer of faith. God, I know you love your people. And I know you want to love your people through me. Would you please move through me? Would you please love through me? Would you please feel through me, God? 
Would you please transcend the limitations of my flesh and let me be led by your spirit as a son of God tonight? Amen. You gotta make a sacrifice. You gotta put something into it. Amen. We all think we give more than we actually give. And God is calling us to make a complete sacrifice so that He can give a complete outpouring of His power on our lives. Amen. I remember one of the first times I was supposed to minister before a crowd of complete strangers. And I was not accustomed to it. I was just 19 years old. And I was nervous as I could be. And I went up to the prayer room at around noon. I prayed that morning and I hadn't felt anything. We already had all these brochures out and all this word and all these people were coming. And, and I, I hadn't felt anything. And I went up around noon and I was fasting. I hadn't eaten anything that day. And I started praying and nothing came. Oh, I felt the Lord's presence. I felt Him speak to me personally. But I didn't feel anything to speak. I didn't feel anything to give. And I just felt more and more desperate. <laughs> that carried on. I didn't leave that prayer room till four and a half hours later. And about four and a half hours later, around 4.30, I was on my face just feeling, God, this is going to be a total meltdown. And yet continuing to press through in faith and pushed it just a little bit further. And the Lord began to speak to me. I used to share at that time of my life, I shared every single Wednesday night a devotional for elderly folks. But something started coming that I had never ministered. And I knew it was fresh from God. It was so exciting. Amen. And then I was scared I would fumble the delivery. But at least I had something. I'm sure I did fumble the delivery. I don't really care. I went with such a thanksgiving in my heart that God loved His people. Amen. And that I could be part of that love. And I ministered that night. And, you know, nobody came to God that I'm aware of. None of the addicts came to repentance. A couple of them prayed. But I remember the next day getting a call. And Brother Jim Eisenstein was on the line. And I went into a closet and I shut the door he said I have a word from God for you and he began to do something he had never done before nor since he began to prophesy that God was going to use me and I didn't tell anybody that you're the first people I've ever told <laughs> and um, you know I, I didn't do it for the consequences I didn't, God didn't have me do that because of what the people were going to do. He had me do it because of what he was worthy of. Amen. And the light that he wanted to shine for his own namesake, for the sacrifice of his son's sake. Amen. You look at cause and effect, and you're going to get discouraged too soon. But if you look at cause and effect up there, he's worth everything. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I remember my dad telling me when I got discouraged a couple times, in years after that, he said, Son, remember what he told Ezekiel in Ezekiel 2. Regard not their faces, for though they make their faces like flint, I will make yours like adamant. And they will reject your word, for they are a stiff-necked and rebellious people, but they will know that a prophet was among them. My dad told me, you're not there just to convert people. 
That's God's doing. You're there to be his witness. Without apology, without qualification. Amen. I'll tell you another story about perseverance and prayer until it resulted in power. My parents told me this story. And I wish I could remember this man's name. And Brother Howard, you might remember his name. And if you do, you can tell me if, if the story rings true to you. But there was a church in Louisiana, I believe, a country church that didn't have a pastor. I think their pastor had died. And they were praying about God's will to raise up a ministry that would lead them. And no pastor was coming. There didn't seem to be any plan in the work. And one of the older saints received a word from God that a teenaged boy who himself had come from a rough background was supposed to be their pastor. He was approaching 20. And they declared this to the church, and the church believed that it was God's will. But the boy had never spoken nor exhibited any gifting nor any inclination toward the ministry. But God had spoken, and that was enough, and they began to travail. Day after day, week after week, they began to travail. And months went by, and each week they would ask him. I believe his name was John, but I can't remember his last name. They would say, John, has the Lord given you an anointing yet? No, no. And they would pray some more. We know it's going to come. And he would pray with them. He would enter in, God, give it to me. Please give it to me. John, has the Lord given you an anointing yet? No, no. Amen. And finally one day, to his surprise, but kind of not to theirs, the Lord gave him an anointing. And he became one of the greatest communicators of that entire movement, that entire generation. Ministering to tens of thousands. Amen. And I know that all of those elderly saints weren't always with him when he was speaking, when he was preaching or teaching, but they were with him because they had entered in together to bring to birth the power of God through one essential gift. Just one. Amen. Not everybody in that congregation was called with the gift that God had called John to. And nothing about the situation and nothing about his background and nothing about his natural condition seemed to predict that calling. Amen. But God predicted it. And perseverance, love, faith, and prayer brought it to birth. Amen. I want to tell you guys, you need to go to a different level. Amen. We need to bring everybody to a new level. God is getting ready to do something so exciting. He's already doing it. If you heard all the reports that are unfolding on a daily basis, you'd be astonished. But God is getting us ready to do something incredible. But what we need is men of God to rise up. What we need is people of prayer to enter in. Not to mark time, but to have that intercessory prayer of faith that actually moves the mountain. Amen. That effectual, fervent prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And I hope some of you are saying, Brother Ossie, this is a lot like what you ministered in the last Sunday meeting. Amen. Amen. We're going to stay here until we get a victory. Amen. The devil didn't like what we ministered in the last Sunday meeting, so we're here to do it again. Amen. And to never give up until we receive the fullness of what God has promised 
until we step into that place of power where he takes control. Thank you, Jesus. God. Amen. There's anybody in this place who thinks you can't get out of where you're at. He gives you power unapologetically. Amen. You need to get out of it. I want all of us to become as zealous for God and free in the spirit as the East 14th Street Church was, as the Paramus Church was. The Spirit of God couldn't have blown them 2,100 miles away to the lands of Colorado if they hadn't been supple to the movement of His power. Amen. Amen. Now I believe that some have been moved tonight by the Spirit. I believe faith has moved some hearts tonight. If you're being led by the Spirit of God, you're a son of God. I want to encourage you to take possession of that new territory God is moving you into. Don't peek in and back out. That's what a coward does. I want you to peek in and then cross the threshold and enter in and abide. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Bear much fruit. Amen. Believe God will do it. Thank you, Jesus. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you, oh evil, a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood.